0: so who's who's ready for thanksgiving you ready for thanksgiving amen i i actually love thanksgiving as much if not more than christmas and but i don't know about you what what your reasoning is and you know a few years ago if you if i'd been asked the question who's ready for thanksgiving i'm like yeah give me the turkey give me the dressing and all of that but i have a different a different question for you are you ready to be thankful now we've had this holiday is a part of our nation's history for a long, long time. And over time, we've sort of evolved in our thinking of what this day is about. Um, And by practice, it is more about us getting together and, and chowing down, right? Having a feast. But there was a spirit behind it. It was a spirit of gratitude, a spirit of gratefulness, of thankfulness. I'm reminded of the story that Uh, told of Jesus in Luke chapter 17 when Jesus was making his way to Jerusalem he was somewhere between Samaria and Galilee and he was coming into a small town and as he entered into the town there were were 10 lepers uh, that saw Jesus and uh, from afar off because they were keeping their their distance because of the disease of leprosy they cried out to Jesus Jesus master have mercy on us And Jesus told them to go to the priest and they would be made well. And so they did that. All ten of them go. And all of them were healed immediately of their leprosy. And one of them, upon realizing that he was healed, turned and went back to Jesus, praising God, fell at Jesus' feet and said, thank you. Jesus said, wait a minute. There were ten of you who needed healing and have been healed, but only one has returned. And as I've thought about that story from time to time in my life, I thought, oh, may it never be that I was one of the nine, but I was of the one. That for all that God has done to heal me spiritually, to redeem me, to forgive me of my sin, lost in sin, separated from God, and yet God in His mercy had mercy upon me and provided salvation to me that i would not be the nine but that i would ever be the one grateful and thankful for the lord's healing the last handful of weeks we've been in the series called thank you god just looking at four different psalms all of them with a predominant thesis or theme of thanksgiving we've looked at three and our final psalm is in psalm 138 so let me encourage you to join with me there psalm 138 it's where we're going to be today and if you have your bibles go ahead and open it up and then let's just stand together can we do that psalm 138 i'm going to begin reading in verse one the entirety of the of this chapter of this psalm is eight verses psalm 138 you ready i give thanks o lord with my whole heart before the gods i sing your praise i bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness for you have exalted above all things your name and your word on the day i called you answered me my strength of soul you increased all the kings of the earth shall give you thanks o lord for they have heard the words of your mouth and they shall sing of the ways of the Lord. For great is the glory of the Lord. For though the Lord is high, He regards the lowly. But the haughty He knows from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, You preserve my life. You stretch out Your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and Your right hand delivers me. The Lord will fulfill His purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. Would you pray with me? Lord, we're not the grateful people we should be. I don't know if we're the nine, but Lord, we're certainly not always the one. But Lord, perhaps through this journey that we've embarked upon these last few weeks and as we now turn our attention to this national holiday of thanksgiving the lord our hearts would be encouraged that we would be inspired to be a people of greater gratitude just as you healed the lepers from their physical ailment you have healed us of our spiritual affliction. But Lord, so often we go about our business knowing that we, we've been saved, knowing that we've been changed, knowing that we've been forgiven. So often we go about our business with so little gratitude for what you have done. And yet, Lord, you have changed our world. You have changed our everything. We're not the same. We're not who we were before. And because of your mercy and your grace, we know the one and true and the living God. Lord, may we never walk too far away from what you have done for us, but be ever mindful that you are God and that you are at work in this world and that you're at work in our lives and that every good thing that we have and have experienced have come because you are a good and loving and caring and generous God. And it is who you are. For that we praise you and we say thank you, God. Now encourage us in this last message to be a a more grateful people, I pray. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen. And amen. God bless you. Go ahead and have a seat. We have been endeavoring over these last four weeks to be a more grateful people as we've been examining these Psalms of Thanksgiving. Interestingly enough, you know, we, we often think of King David as being the primary writer of the book of Psalms and There are about 75 of the psalms that he has written. But up to this point, over these last previous three weeks, the psalms that we've looked at were not written by David. But today, we're going to correct that by looking at Psalm 138. This is a well-known psalm of King David. And you may have noticed that the psalm starts off in the first person. So this is sort of an expression from David's heart of thanksgiving, uh, coming directly from him. But then things are going to shift halfway through the psalm. And the, the expressions of gratitude are going to come from other people before it shifts back uh, to David's perspective again. But note that the whole psalm itself is really an expression of both praise and thanksgiving. In fact, look again at verse 1. David says in this song to be sung, he says, I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. And We've talked about wholehearted worship before. The idea that that we worship with our whole being and that's not just what we do in this room in this hour but that we worship the Lord with our entire lives the way that we live the way we think the way that we behave it's, it's how we live our lives well giving thanks to the Lord with our whole heart is sort of a similar concept in fact these two concepts really go together praising and worshiping they go hand in hand and so wholehearted thanksgiving as he describes here in verse 1 should be how we live we ought to live as a grateful people thanking God with our all so we're going to examine this psalm that follows this first verse calling us to give give thanks to the Lord with our whole heart we're going to follow into this psalm and pull out some reasons uh, or expressions of wholehearted thanksgiving but before we do i I do want to point out something that occurs in the second part of verse one that and acknowledge there's a curious idea or concept there it pops up from time to time in the psalms but often in other places in scripture but look there at the end of verse one after saying i give you thanks O lord with my whole heart he says before the gods i sing your praise does anyone think that's just a little odd the phrasing there in in fact it's a little odd how often the bible refers to those other gods you know, we had a similar thought back in the last uh, psalm that we looked at, a couple of chapters back, Psalm 136, where the Lord was referred to as the God of gods, as if there are other gods out there that exist, that matter. And, and it, even here in chapter 38, Psalm 38, David is echoing a similar sentiment when he says, before the gods I sing your praise. So what's up with that? Why, Why if there's only one God, do you see uh, several times in Scripture there is some kind of acknowledgement that other gods exist. Well, remember that the people of God, the people of Israel, they're living in the land of Canaan, uh, the, the land of the Canaanites. And so Canaanite, the Canaanite religion was, uh, was a polyistic uh, religion. They believed in many gods. Uh, their craftsmen, many of them were dedicated to, to carving out and crafting carbon images, what we call graven images of their gods and People would take these idols, these gods, and they would place them in their home, sometimes up on their mantles in their home, and they would bow down to them, sometimes burning incense or other sacrifices toward these idols. And though these laws these uh, uh, idols were outlawed in, in David's day, many of them quietly remained in some of the households of the people that lived in that region. So keep that in mind as you're reading David's psalm as well as other psalms. So that when David is singing before the gods, I sing your praise, what he is saying is, you know, when I walk among the people here with their so-called gods, I'm singing the praise of the one true God. Those other gods aren't really gods, but there is but one true God, the one and only God. So why is he singing? Well, verses two and three tells us, just read it again with me. He says, I bow down towards your holy temple give thanks to your name for your steadfast love that's that covenantal loyal committed love of god i give thanks to your name for your steadfast love your faithfulness for you have exalted above you are exalted above all others your name and your word and on the day that i called you answered me and my strength of soul you increased what we find here is the very first reason why we ought to praise and give thanksgiving to God, and it's for a comforting reason, and it's this. We ought to thank God because He hears us and He answers us. Let me tell you, that, that, that's the reason why he is praising the Lord here, thanking God. He is saying, Lord, you know that I have this incredible need. I have this huge weight upon me, and I cried out to you with prayer over it, I lifted it up to you, and you not only heard me, but you answered me. You met my need, dear God. That's why I'm praising you. That's why I'm thanking you. And if that is true, that that David had prayed a prayer to God, and God not only heard his prayer, but he answered that prayer for him. Do you know how extraordinary that is? That there is this... Supernatural being out there, this entity, this being, this person who not only cares enough to listen to us, but he takes time to answer us. Do you know how extraordinary that is? Again, remember the context. The the Canaanites that that had lived among them and that preceded them there in the land of Canaan, they would carve out these household idols, place them up on their mantelpieces, uh, sacrifice to them, cry out to them. Do you know those so-called gods never heard a word? They never heard the the cry of prayer. They never answered. Do you know why? Because they weren't real. They weren't truly gods. And yet, however, David's God the one and only true God, the God of the Israelites, the real God with an exalted name and a promise. He listened to David's cry when he, craw- when he called and his God answered. Now, before we move past this first point, I, I think it's important to remember, and this may be you, but it may be somebody near you. There's probably someone in this room that is heavily burdened in this moment. Maybe you, you, you come every Sunday Sunday, Or or maybe this is the first time you've darkened the doors of this church or any church in a long, long time. And it may be, among all the points that I present to you today, it is this point that you need to be reminded of uh, the most. Because you have indeed been heavily burdened of late. Hardly anybody knows the the weight that you've been shouldering upon your life on behalf of yourself or maybe a loved one. And you've been praying. You've been praying a lot and you've been crying out to the lord and and it feels like your your prayers every time you pray it feels like your prayers are hitting the ceiling as if they're not getting through well hear me friend if you are a follower of christ and you're seeking to walk with him seeking to pursue him please know that if you know the lord if again if you're walking with him your prayers have gotten through The Lord is hearing you. The Lord has heard your prayer, and He will answer if He hasn't done so already. Does that mean that He answers the way we want Him to? Of course not. Does it mean that He answers when He wants us, uh, when we want Him to answer us? Well, of course not. Sometimes He often holds back in answering us in a way far different than our own timetable. But that does not take away from His Word that He still hears us and he still answers us. He still hears you, dear believer. As you continue to cry, he is listening to you, and he is answering. And be confident that he will answer in accordance to his will. So be encouraged by that, that God hears us and answers us. And for that, knowing that God does hear you and he answers you, shouldn't you not be thankful for that? As extraordinary as it is, there is a God, the God, a personal God, the personal God, who loves you, Cares for you and he hears you and he answers. Now, in the next few verses, I want you to notice again the shift of perspective. As we mentioned before, it's going to shift away from the first person perspective. In the previous section, you've, you've noticed the I, me, and my kind of words. Again, this is David praising and thanking God in the moment. But then as we move into verse four, you're going to see this distinct shift, and it's no longer David who's going to be giving the expressions of praise and thanksgiving in the moment. Verse 4 is sort of looking beyond the the immediate to some point in the future in which he hopes that the kings of the earth will praise the Lord and thank the Lord. So look at verse 4 and read along with me. He says, All the kings of the earth shall give thanks, give you thanks, O Lord, for they have heard the words of your mouth. And note that he says in verse 5, And they shall sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord here's david writing a psalm we, we got to be careful to not think that this is a prophecy we didn't know that there are other places in scripture uh, that that indicate that there will be a time when others will will worship and praise the Lord and recognize him for who they are for who he is even though they're not right with the Lord but in this moment David is expecting and hoping that the kings of the earth at some point in the future to take note of God's words and sing praises to him. I don't know, have have you ever heard a king sing? Ever ever heard a a president sing? I think I've seen one of our presidents do a TikTok once, right? I I do remember when Bill Clinton played the saxophone on some late night TV show. But I've never heard a president sing. Anybody heard, heard a U.S. president sing? You don't want to? Maybe that's the case, yeah. Have you ever heard a king sing? especially singing praises to the Lord. And yet here's David looking forward to some point in the future with great hope and anticipation that one day the kings or the presidents or the prime ministers of the earth would sing praises to the Lord. In fact, this verse that we've just read could almost be sort of an Old Testament version of Philippians chapter 2, where we read there Paul declaring. In verse 9, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Again, the difference between these two passages is this. Paul was writing about what will happen. David was expressing what he hoped would happen one day that he hoped that the kings of the earth might praise God and thank Him. And if, if that does indeed happen, and it will, David knows that it will be motiva- That what will motivate these kings of the earth to do so is God's great glory. Again, look at verse 5, because he says, they'll sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. Is that not an incredible thought? Th- that we look around the, the landscape today of who's in leadership, and we see such pride We see such haughtiness. And David is looking forward to a time that he hopes when people would truly come and encounter the Lord, His Word, and the character and nature of God and be compelled to worship Him, be compelled to express gratitude to Him. And indeed, one day, every knee will bow and every tongue confess, including every leader of, of the land. But they won't be confessing their own accomplishments, They'll be extolling what God has done and who He is. They won't be patting themselves on the back. They'll be patting God on the back and praising Him. I mean, get this. If Jesus just happens to come back today, do you know who's going to be bowing the knee tomorrow? It'll be today's kings, today's presidents, today's prime ministers. The King of England, who people cur- curtsy to, the, the, he will be down on his knees, King Charles. If, if today the Lord comes, then also on this day, our President Joe Biden will be bending the knee and praising God. The Prime Minister of Canada, Justin Trudeau. Vladimir Putin, Kim Jong-un, uh, Xi Jinping of China. All of these who think they are so great and they are so mighty will come in confrontation with the Almighty. And we'll praise Him and worship Him. All of them bowing the knee. And as they do, all of them will recognize how great is the glory of the Lord. Do you not just love that? I do. That, in fact, is something we should be grateful ourselves to the Lord over. We should thank the Lord for this. That He reveals His glory to us. So so what is His glory? It's one of those words and concepts that's up in the air sort of hard for us to grab a hold of one one theology professor christopher morgan describes it like this that god's glory is the magnificence worth loveliness and grandeur of his many perfections which he displays in his creative and redemptive acts in other words it's the beauty of who he is and i'm not talking about his physical beauty I'm talking about the beauty that emanates from His character. It's, it's really His glory is a picture of His holiness. And be reminded that his, his glory also reminds us that God Himself is the standard. He is the measurement of what is good and right. He is the standard. And everything and everyone is going to be measured against Him. Remember Romans three twenty three, For all have sinned and fall short of what? the glory of God all of us have sinned and we fall short of God's standard the glory of God reminds us that God alone is perfect and because of our sin because of our rebellion and our rejection of the Lord we fall short of him we fall short of his standard but praise God because of who Jesus is, that he died for us, he paid the penalty of our sin on our behalf, that he made forgiveness possible, we can actually know the standard. We can know the God of glory. You know, my family, we have a tradition at our house on Thanksgiving. If you've ever shared a Thanksgiving meal with us at our home, you know this to be true. Before we gather to eat, we take some time to go around the table... And one by one, we we began to express just one word of thanksgiving. Anybody else do that in your house on Thanksgiving Day? If you don't do that, I encourage you to do so. So everybody goes around taking turns, saying, saying one thing that they're grateful for. The lucky one is the first one to be picked because they get to say my family, right? That's the easy one, right? So we're standing around together. But we'll all all share similar thoughts almost every year. And we'll talk about our salvation. We're grateful for how the Lord has saved us. Or that all of our kids and grandkids know the Lord. Or we'll thank the Lord for our church and we indeed are thankful. Or we'll thank the Lord for our nation and the freedoms that we have. Or we'll thank the Lord for our health. And all of those things are good and they are important. But can I suggest one more thing for you to be grateful for this Thanksgiving? Something you don't really think about that often. Be grateful for the glory of God. Be grateful for Him, for who He is, for His character, simply for who He is. And that He's given you the privilege to know Him. Now, I'm going to find another reason to say thank you to God, to share with you, and you'll find it beginning in verse 6. For though the Lord is high, He regards the lowly, but the haughty He knows from afar. I want those words to sink in for just a moment. Though the Lord is high, He regards the lowly. That's us. The Lord is high, and yet He regards us. This is such a magnificent statement because we know that God is great, that He is immense. He is above us and He is beyond us, and yet to know that the God who is above us and beyond us regards the lowly That word regard means that he considers us. So the Lord who is high, the Lord who is above us and beyond us, draws near to us who are low. Though we may feel down, though we may feel out, though we may feel alone, though we may feel powerless, it is the God on high who regards us and considers us. He knows us and he is for us. And notice that he also doesn't regard the haughty, he doesn't regard the proud. He's far from them, but he regards us, the lowly who recognize that he is the Lord and and we are not. He draws near to us. He he comforts us. And then David says this in verse 7, though I walk in the midst of trouble. So here he is shifted into the first person again. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies. Your right hand delivers me. I don't know if the language sort of feels a little similar here if you've ever read psalm 23 you really get what i'm talking about here psalm 23 verses 4 and 5 even though i walk through the valley of the shadow of death i will fear no evil for you are with me your rod and your staff they comfort me you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemy anyone here in the midst of trouble Anyone here feel like you're, you're facing an existential threat? Feel like the world is out to get you and is warring against you? Well, David gives us all a word of hope here that the Lord is for you. He preserves you. He fights for you. He will deliver you. And that's yet another reason to thank God. And that is that He gives us hope when we need it. When, when all else seems to be going against us, God is for us and is fighting on our behalf and that is a source of hope for us and honestly friend we always need this hope because it feels like we're always in the midst of trouble as it's often said you're either heading into a season of difficulty or in a season of difficulty or on your way out of a season of difficulty but difficulty is always nearby and so we all need this encouraging hope all the time that the the god who is upon high he is regarding those of us who are low. He is for us, preserves us, fights for us, and promises to deliver us. And for that reason, we have no reason to worry what we, what we may face. No reason to despair. You know, we know the name John Newton, because among his many accomplishments, well, he was a great hymn writer. You know the, song, the, the hymn Amazing Grace? But he, he didn't just write that one, the most, probably the most famous uh, of all the hymns to be written. He also wrote others, too. Some sort of escaped us. But he actually wrote one entitled this, How Tedious and Tasteless. And that just encourage you. You know, oh, I can't wait to sing How Tedious and How Tasteless. But Let me just read to you some of the lyrics of this. It goes like this. How tedious and tasteless the hour when Jesus I no, longer, no longer I see. Sweet prospects, sweet birds, and sweet flowers have long lost their sweetness to me. The midsummer sun shines but dim. The fields strive in vain to look gay. But when I am happy in him, December's as pleasant as May. Isn't that an awesome line at, at, after all? How in the world could, could he write that? How could John Newton say that? If you knew his life, you, knew, you wouldn't even ask that because he had his own difficulties. And in the moments that he often wrote his hymns, he was swimming in trouble, surrounded by enemies, living on the brink of despair. But in the midst of it all, he had this ongoing hope that no matter what he was facing, no matter, matter how dark the night, that God was for him. And that his December was as pleasant as May. And for that he's thankful. And we should do the same. Now, I want to give you one last reason to share things to the Lord from this text. It's in the, the concluding verse. Verse 8, let me just read it for you. The Lord will fulfill His purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. Now, the language... I'm going to work backwards from the end of the verse to the the top. But the language here sort of depicts God as being at work. That last phrase of the sentence, that last sentence in the verse, He says, do not forsake the work of your hands. You get this picture that God is working in some kind of capacity. And as a worker... He's going to have a tool or some tools at his disposal. Well, the, the middle phrase, the middle sentence of this verse tells us what his tool is. It's his steadfast love. Now we've camped out on this love, this hesed love. That Greek word or that Hebrew word hesed that means the covenantal, loyal, uh, caring love of God. It's faithful, loyal love. How the ESV translates as steadfast love. And so that is his tool. So what then is the work that he is engaged in? If the Lord is at work and he's working using his steadfast love, what is the work that he is engaging in? Well, it's described in that first sentence. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. So this is very plainly telling us that there is a purpose that the Lord has for you and for me and the Lord is busy at work fulfilling his purpose in us. That word fulfill, it basically means to accomplish, to, to complete. And this points to the last of our reasons for gratitude that I want to share with you, not just for this, this sermon, but for this series, and that is this. We ought to thank the Lord because He will complete His purpose for us. Now, what is God's purpose for us? Now, we, we don't know what David had in mind specifically when he wrote this, but God's purpose for us today in this New Testament context, we know from Romans chapter 8 verse 28 and following. Here's what Paul wrote. He says, "And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his what? His purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that we might be the firstborn among many brothers." And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also, and here's a form of the word glory, he also glorified. In other words, if you want to know what your purpose in life, the very purpose for which God is at work, trying to complete it in you, his purpose for us is to make us like Jesus and to bring us to glory. That's what he is doing on our behalf. Now last week, we had uh, the, the Florida Baptist Convention took place in Pensacola, Florida. If you know much about my, my background, my story, I, I spent about 12 years of my life, 12 and a half years of my life in Pensacola. And the, the, the Florida Baptist Convention meeting was actually held in a former church that I was a part of, a member of, and uh, spent a lot of time there. And so it, Sort of like a, a walk down memory lane for me. Uh, Olive was the place, Olive Baptist Church was the place where God called me to ministry. It was also where I held my very first ministry position working with students. And so it was just great to to take some time to meander through the building. They they built a lot of new buildings, but some of the older buildings were still on the property. Places that I would gather for Sunday school classes and other places where I would work with students and I would just wander in nooks and crannies uh, throughout that building, just reliving the past, Just, just experiencing the good old days. Well, at one point, I actually wandered into the student room, the student center. And uh, I noticed on the back wall, there was some each. Of, there was some uh, uh, classrooms. This was not the area that I was in when I was student pastor there. But there were some classrooms in the back of the, this now student area. And they were sort of dedicated to different eras of the student ministry. And I looked back and I saw the one during the season while I was there. So I sort of wandered in the room. And I was surprised to see that there were mementos and pictures on the wall from years gone by. And up on the wall was a picture that was 35, at least 35 years ago. And up on that wall was a picture of me in the midst of some other students. And I thought, my Lord, how much hair I have lost. (laughs) Once I got past that, all the memories started to flood into my mind. And then I stepped back into the main area. So what I've not told you is that the the current student area is the former worship area of the church. They've now built a bigger worship facility and they took the old worship area and they turned it into the student center. And as I was looking in this room and I was just sort of scanning the room, I was standing in the back corner and memories began to pop up into my mind like, off to what would be your, the, 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 my, to my right now, to your left, was a, a few rows back. I remember one of the er, my earliest memories of being in that room. My family had moved to Pensacola, and we had been attending Olive Baptist Church. We'd also been attending another church, a, a little bit smaller church, a church that was more the size of the church I was accustomed to back in Kentucky. And I remember at the end of the service, my parents said, let's go. And they had an invitation time and there, there was a time for people to come forward, make decisions and people to time to give them to join the church. And my parents said, let's go. I was like, let's go where? And they said, well, we're going to join the church today. And I was like, no, I, I don't want to join this church. I want to I join the other church. But I was forced against my will to join the Olive Baptist Church. It was one of the best decisions ever made on my behalf. But I didn't like it that day. So I remember that story. And then over to the other side about uh, the second row, about right behind where Jennifer was sitting, I, I was brought to another moment of me, a number, another memory. It was a, a season in my life where I was sort of living in rebellion, not walking with the Lord, and the Lord was breaking me. I don't know if you've ever been in one of those moments where you've, you've just not been obedient, and you, you finally, after a long time of, no, of not yielding to Him, you finally say, okay, Lord, I get it. I've been in the wrong, and I repent of this. And I, I can remember as the pastor was preaching and sitting on that, that second row and, and tears, and I'm not a, a crying kind of person, but tears were streaming by my face over the brokenness that I had over not being right with the Lord. And I, I finally surrendered my all to the Lord. And for that reason, I, I'm, I'm here today. In fact, speaking of that, I could take you up into the balcony up about that, uh, that area. Up, It was a sort of a fan room shaped room like this up there. And it was September the 12th, 1988. I remember that date very distinctly because it was on that date after months of praying that the Lord finally said, Darren, it's time. And I got up out of my seat and I walked down the stairwell and came and took the pastor by his hand and I told him, Pastor, the Lord is calling me to to be in the ministry. I'm called to be a pastor just like you. And so that room was, is just filled up with all kinds of memories very significant to me and to my life. And while I was standing in that room and taking all of that in, I was reminded about how the Lord has and continues to be actively completing His purpose in my life. He has been so faithful in that working to make me more and more like Jesus. It's not been a perfect journey. He's done a lot of work along the way, and sometimes I've made it very difficult for Him to complete the job, amen? But He is working on my behalf to complete His purpose in me, shaping me and guiding me to be more like Him. And one day I know that I will be with Him forever when I get to go into glory. This is what the Lord is doing for you and for me. The God of the universe regards the lowly. He regards you and He regards me and is actively working to complete His purpose for us, which is to make us like Jesus and to bring us to glory. Do we not have so much to be thankful for? You know, these last four weeks have been a reminder to me as we've been walking through these Psalms, it's just revealed a touch for, for the things that we should be grateful, but just a touch. The list is infinite so the challenge to you and to me is to embody this very first verse of Psalm 138. To give thanks to God with your whole heart. To be grateful wholeheartedly. But, but what are we really doing, really, when we express gratitude to God? Is it just simply saying thank you? Ron Allen has written a book on the Psalms. It's entitled Praise a Matter of Life and Breath. And He sort of defines the word thanks or giving thanks in verse 1 as acknowledgement or to acknowledge. He then tells this story. He says, I was approached by an elderly gentleman who wished a word with me. He gave me his card and introduced himself as a veteran medical missionary to India. He had established a medical mission in a region where progressive blindness was peculiar to that region where thousands of people were born sighted but were doomed to blindness as they matured. In a marvelous ministry to the whole man, the ophthalmologist had developed a procedure to arrest the terrible disease that had ravaged the people of that region. He then told me that as people would leave the clinic, knowing that they would see when otherwise they might have become blind, they would not simply say thank you, for that was not even in their dialect. Instead, they would say this, I will tell your name. I will tell your name. You know, that's what we do. And what we are doing when we give thanks to the Lord with our whole heart. When we are expressing our thanksgiving to the Lord, it is acknowledging that our God is there and what He has done for us. And we're doing so with our entire being and with all that we have. When we say thank you to God with everything from the bottom of our feet to the tops of our heads. When we are giving our wholehearted expression of gratitude to the Lord. We are saying to the Lord, Lord, I will tell you your name dear friend that's my challenge to you as we wrap up this series so live your life that you are telling of the name of the god who is good and the god who does good by you tell his name let's pray lord help us to tell your name And not just on Thursday when we're supposed to be grateful when even the most pagan among us will will give thanks. But let us tell of your name every day. And let us do so with every fiber of our being. You are such a good and great and wonderful God. And so we tell of your name We tell of your name to others, but Lord, we also tell it to ourselves to be reminded that every good thing has come from you. Now, Lord, let us so live our lives that we could be the ones who have written these words. We give thanks to God with our whole heart. So let it be, we pray. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen.